0: Unopposed. This is episode 13, I think, which is farther than we ever thought we'd make it. So thank you for joining us, listener. And once again, we are back to cover the history of Ireland through the lens of Oliver J. Flanagan uh, with our guest presenter, uh, Thomas. Hello.
1: Right. So I guess we'll hop right back into where we left off in 1943. So let's see. Last we so left he had just
0: off. entered Parliament, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. He'd just gotten in, uh, barely, so he's gotten the fifth seat, and now we introduce him in office.
0: So World War II is still
1: happening, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's still happening, yeah. Keep keep that in mind as I'm going to read out a certain quote in two seconds, literally in, in right now. So.
2: Oh, God, how afraid should we be? <laughs>
1: Uh, I would imagine very. Unfortunately, you are going (laughs) to have to be
2: quite a fair. Lovely.
1: So standard procedure for a newly elected TD is that they're, you know, they're not used to things. They probably will take a little while before they make their maiden speech before the Dáil. Oliver J. Flanagan is quite the exception because within his first week in the Dáil, he'd make the most infamous speech of his career.
0: That's the Irish Parliament, right?
1: Yeah, the Dáil is the uh, the lower house. Uh, It'd be the equivalent of, like, uh, what the speech is, yeah. It's the equivalent of the
0: House of Representatives.
2: Are you going to tell us what it was about, or do you want us to guess? Uh, It's into you. If
1: you want to guess, you can.
2: I'm going to guess it was
0: about the
1: Nazis. Yeah, it might have been.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ding, 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 (laughs) ding.
1: So, let's find out what he had to say, huh? Uh, He denounced the use of emergency power laws to imprison suspected members of the IRA without trial, as in his mind, there were more pressing concerns than them. How is it that we don't see any of these emergency power acts directed against the Jews who crucified our savior 1900 years ago and who are crucifying us every day in the week? How is it that we don't see them directed against the Masonic order? How is it that the IRA is considered an illegal organization while the Masonic order
2: is not considered an illegal organization? So was he trying to do, like, Nazi Catholicism?
0: No, this is like regular Catholic anti-Semitism. No, but he's
2: also very pro-Nazi, I feel.
1: Yeah, he is quite pro-Nazi, as we're literally uh, going to see right now. There is one thing that Germany did, and that was to root the Jews out of their country. Until we root the Jews out of this country, it does not matter a hair's breadth what orders you make. Where there are bees, there's honey. And where there are Jews, there's money.
2: And that's the speech. How screen. many Jews are in Ireland, by the way?
1: A couple thousand.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: I... Anti-Semitism is more of a vibe to him and less of a mm. like real material reality.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly, because, you know, there are only a few thousand Jews in the country to root out in the first place.
0: Yeah, for him, it's more about, like, the vibes, calling people spiritually Jewish, you know, that Mm. kind of
2: thing. I mean, he did say
1: that 90% of Irish politicians had not a drop of Irish blood in them, so there's quite a few people who he thinks are very spiritually Jewish.
0: Yeah, exactly. Wait. So he he was calling them Jewish, right? He wasn't calling them like secret British people or something.
1: Basically, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's so funny to me that like Irish that even if they're that like Irish fascists love England, hmm. it's like they just can't stop bootlicking. It rocks,
2: <laughs> <laughs> even though they're again extremely proud to be Irish and like proud to be white. Yeah, they're yeah, like
0: hell yeah, our entire national like, identity is Irishness... fighting The British, but also the British are good.
1: Yeah, it's like um, their their whole uh, conception of Irishness comes from like a conception of, I don't know, it's like uh, Irishness as defined by British people. And so on some level, you do have to kind of be pro-British. You know, they, they speak English. They, you know, that's their sort of conception of what it means to be Irish.
0: Yeah, I guess it kind of is. Hmm. Anyway. Bet you didn't think you'd be hearing deep discussion about Irish national identity,
2: did you? <laughs> so, tell us what else happens in his first speech, or is or is that it? That's
1: that's it. It ends that was with the speech. That was the speech. It ends with where there are bees, there's honey. Where there are Jews, there's money. That's his mm. lovely little catchphrase.
0: Yeah. That is. Was that like his like superhero catchphrase? Uh,
1: he said it once, uh, so not um, not really. No, but. <laughs>
0: Yeah, okay. I I sort of imagine him as kind of anti-Semitic Superman for, for Irish <laughs> people.
2: Um, he's not nearly as handsome as Superman was. No, that's
0: true. I saw him for the first time when Thomas sent me some pictures of him. He was not an attractive guy. Yeah, um, I looked him up
2: and thought, like, eww.
0: And he, he's <laughs> one of those guys who just sort of got progressively fatter.
1: mm. No, he, he gets like progressively worse. Like, some guys, worse. they
0: stop growing up, and they just start growing horizontally.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah. He was he was a short man and a wide it's man. It's just sort
0: of a thing in the life cycle of some men. You know, is what it mm. is.
1: Now, so what he's just said there is quite heinous. I, I think we can all agree. And how do we think the doll reacted? Didn't really standing care. Standing ovation. Well, not quite standing ovation. Yeah. So uh, the reaction to this speech and to most of his anti-Semitic screeds that he would go on in his early dull career uh, was more so that they were irrelevant to the topic at
2: hand. That was the complaint rather than the fact that they were anti-Semitic. The energy of a guy who just crashes school board meetings to talk about like shit no one has heard of.
0: <laughs> no yeah it's the same thing it's like oliver please we're trying to decide what the tax rate should be please stop talking about the jews i, I mean yeah
1: that genuinely was
2: the complaint we're trying
0: to fund the fire department
2: such, yeah uh, <laughs> I, at one point sorry yeah, go on. no, that is such a vibe not a good vibe but it definitely is a type of guy who like if there's a city council meeting or something about like waste management we'll just talk about like i don't know why ilhan omar isn't isn't an american citizen or something
0: this is the dark version of have you guys seen what we do in the shadows
1: i'm afraid not
0: so there's a character on there who's an energy vampire his thing is that he feeds off of other people's like boredom and negative emotions Mm. so what he does is he just crashes city council meetings and like town government meetings to just be as boring as possible for and speak for as long as possible this is sort of the dark version of that (laughs) (laughs) Where you do that, but in a way that's extremely (laughs) anti-Semitic.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Uh,
0: (laughs) Oliver, please. We're trying to decide what the farm subsidy should be. No one cares about the Freemasons. (laughs)
1: But yeah, no, that was genuinely the complaint. And yeah, most uh, politicians' response to Oliver J. Flanagan was basically to look at them and go, what in the name of God are you on about? Now, that was what most people responded with. However, his anti-Semitic oh, yeah, his anti tirades <laughs> netted him some friends as he was introduced to Gadoj O'Kinnagain leader of Alchiri Nahashayji, the Architects of the Resurrection. Uh, if you're Four brained you probably
2: will know him. That's such a cool Architects name. Architects of the Resurrection. Holy yeah. shit. Uh, if... Uh, Holy do they want shit. to, does it have something to do with uh, Jesus and Christianity?
1: No. So uh, al Shadi and Hashadi are much more, well, I mean, they are uh, quite Catholic, but they're much more straight up fascist. Uh, they were the premier pro-Nazi fascist mm-hmm. political party of Ireland. You know, the blue shirts are gone. Here's your alternative. And what they wanted was a Catholic theocratic state that would be only Irish speaking, and that was influenced by the Estado Novo ideology of Antonio Salazar, the dictator of Portugal.
0: That but- that brand of fascism did sort of get rehabilitated very quickly mm-hmm. post World War II. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just because they is- were like marginally less genocidal than like Italy and Germany.
2: Was Salazar even like a fascist, quote unquote, or was he? More oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Look up what. Yeah, look up what they did to dissidents under his rule. Look up how they treated the colonies. Uh, look up the literacy rate in Portugal at the time of the Carnation Revolution. Is real bad. Portugal was like a third no, world country. That's
2: like, no, it's definitely authoritarian and evil. But is it was he fascist in a in a yeah absolutely sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, sense? I would
1: argue so. Yeah, like if you are Shadina Hasredi and you're a pro Nazi party and you're looking at his ideology Estado uh, Novo and going, that's pretty cool and based. Yeah, it's it's fascist. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. I, just, I don't really Salazar know much about even said like, like yeah, we're off.
0: modeling ourselves on Mussolini.
1: Okay, yeah. that I did, so did not Fran-
0: know. Yeah, he very similar to Franco.
1: Oh yeah, basically like the the Portuguese Franco, except uh, yeah, you, Franco came later, so he's the Spanish Salazar, basically.
0: Yeah, so Franco, but with an H and that weird acute symbol above it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> O'Kgoin, he gets in contact with him and Flanagan is smitten with this relationship. He writes fawning letters to O'Kgoin, praising the great work for Ireland he had done, and humbly offering that if he wanted any matter to be raised in the doll, I'll do so with the greatest of pleasure.
0: So wait, did the this party, uh, the the architects of the resurrection, did they have any seats in the mm. doll?
1: They didn't, no. Uh, They were quite electorally unsuccessful, uh, which was something that made Flanagan quite upset. Uh, He (laughs) wanted them to succeed, which is why he offered to help them campaign in an upcoming by-election. But the by-election got cancelled because there's going to be a snap election in 1944.
2: I found out something. I realized something crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hit us. So you know how uh, this guy was the original poster Yeah, okay anyways yeah now he's writing fan fiction
0: (laughs) (laughs) he's sort of progressed backwards (laughs) he's sort of gone backwards from twitter to tumblr (laughs) (laughs) yeah i suppose he has (laughs) oliver j flanagan on true crime tumblr writing about mussolini
2: (laughs) fun fact his second speech in irish parliament began with dear penthouse i never thought this would happen to me
0: Antis do not answer. Uh, I fully condone.
1: <laughs> uh, now, in uh, the by the way, uh, uh, if you. I feel like in Hoyfor, if you are Hoyfor brained, uh, his name yeah, is in English, John Gerald Cunningham.
0: I, I don't know him, now. The leader of I Fascist Ireland it. in the game him, is, yeah. is Owen O'Duffy.
1: Ah, fair enough. Now, uh, he isn't just making friends with uh, Gadotokinnegein. He's also making friends with a person who would perhaps be unusual for him to be friends with. As the Nazi sympathizer Flanagan became best buds with James Dillon, who had been expelled from Fine Gael for his pro-ally and anti-neutrality beliefs.
0: Huh. And um, now the Flanagan is part of Fianna Fail, right?
1: uh he was he's now left he's part of the irish monetary reform association
0: oh that's right right i forgot those listener the more innocuous name a group has the more inscrutable their name is the more fascist they are that's just a good (laughs) rule of thumb Hmm.
2: i don't not necessarily
0: hit me with a counterexample
2: um, Democratic Party. That's not an
0: inscrutable long name. That's just a normal name. It's meaningless, but it's it's not like inscrutable and long.
2: But like you have no idea what their ideology is based just on their name.
0: Yeah, true. Hmm, no, right, we'll I'll have to did... study it further.
1: Mm. So Dylan and Flanagan, they may have disagreed on the war, but Dylan <laughs> took a shine <laughs> to the Rocky TD. seems like TV. a big thing
0: to disagree on. It,
1: it does, but both of them got along because fundamentally they were both right-wing guys. What they disagreed on was the war, they didn't disagree on a lot more. And ultimately Flanagan would become so close to James Dillon that uh, Flanagan would be referred to as his political love child.
0: His political love child. Ooh, mm. that's hot. Flanagan was the political love child? Yeah,
1: Flanagan was the political love child of Dillon.
0: Probably not the first okay, time okay. there will be a love child on this program. Maybe not, no. Or probably not the last now, time. Fuck. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> now, um, you know, like to, to quickly put Dylan in perspective, because he will be coming up a, a bit more. Like, yeah, he was quite a right wing guy. Uh, he modeled himself off of Churchill quite a lot and sort of thought of himself as like this Irish Churchillian figure. Uh, and when arguing why Ireland should be involved in World War II, He accused De Valera's policy of uh, neutrality of being influenced by his Spanish blood, and that if he was a true Irishman, he (laughs) would support Ireland being a part of the war.
0: Hell yeah.
2: So he was trying to use eugenics to fight Nazism? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's, he models himself off of Churchill. You're
1: anti Nazi,
0: but still racist. You need to do anti fascist racism, Gabe. You need to get on our level.
1: Now, his relationship with Ash and Dylan were blossoming. However, his relationship with the IMRA was about to fall apart. No, so yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have a problem. Because as a TD, Flanagan had every right to scream about the Jews all day, and oh boy would he. But if he wanted <laughs> to get anything actually done, he needed someone to second his motions, and he was the only IMRA. TD, so that meant he had to work with other political parties.
2: Now, which I assume
1: he refused to do? No, quite the opposite. Flanagan identified Clonathaloon, uh, the family of the land, who were a social democratic small farmers party, as his ideal targets for collaboration. And I'm going to be frank, I don't think he was wrong in that one, because the leader of Clonathaloon uh, once declared that many people were comparing him to Hitler, and he welcomed that comparison.
0: Hmm. Once again, the Social Democrats are the weak link. You see it all the time. <laughs>
1: now, while Flanagan was very happy to work with Klanel Taloon, uh, Seamus Lennon and the leadership of the IMRA were not. They did not want to work with non-believers. And so Flanagan got expelled.
0: Whoa. It really what do be your life, own. Where, huh? Where'd you go?
1: Yeah, so they kicked him out, and where would he go? So the Leash County Executive, the biggest executive of the IMRA, however, owed its success primarily to Oliver J. Flanagan, and most of its activists were personally loyal to him. So when he got the boot, the Leash Executive resigned in protest. Seamus Lennon would Ooh, continue that seems to run bad. the. I- they would continue to. Uh, Seamus Lennon would continue to run the Irish Monetary Reform Association while Flanagan founded the Irish Monetary Reform Party.
2: <laughs> yes! Let's go! So he just named it something slightly different, that's all? Yep, he just founded his own that new is... party. Which that's so cool. Changed.
0: I love him so much. I, I don't love him so much. Listener, I need to clarify, <laughs> he's very bad. But that's such a funny thing to do, to found a party with almost the same name.
2: I like how he's just becoming one of these guys who found a different party every day, but with a slightly different name. <laughs> yeah. No, he just of Yeah, himself. there should be
0: more political party. How many political parties does Ireland need, really? Ireland has, like, two million people.
2: Hmm. I mean, not many. But same amount of interests. Huh?
0: Okay, but hear me out. The U.S. has, like, 300 million people, and we have two parties. So therefore, by extension, Ireland should only have like a fifth of a party, maybe, like not even a whole political party. If we're going by metrics.
2: Imagine how cool it would be if America had more political parties. God, can you imagine? If only we could. It would be even more difficult for Kevin McCarthy to become. I know it would be beautiful. He can't even get the votes from his own party. How is he going to do it from another party?
0: Imagine how many political parties Marjorie Taylor Greene would have been a part of by now.
1: Oh, so many. At
0: least seven. Yeah, think of the Wikipedia info boxes we're being deprived of, listener.
1: Now, speaking of a lot of political parties, there were a lot of political parties voted in in the 1943 election. And as a result, Fianna Fáil were the government, but they held a minority. They ended up clinging on thanks to abstentions, mainly from the likes of Oliver J. Flanagan, who refused to vote genuinely because he believed that if Ireland's run by the Jews, why bother?
0: (laughs) This is very, like, self-defeating. Like, when Trump guys are like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to vote because the election's rigged. And then they lose, and they're like, oh, it's because the election was rigged.
2: Yeah. So, he. yeah, like, if you guys turned out, like, you might have won. (laughs)
0: The same thing kind of happened to Bolsonaro.
2: To be fair, I don't think Trump guys not voting because they think the election is stolen is a fear that's really materialized.
0: No, but it's it's a similar vibe. It was like, well, I guess the Jews are always going to win.
2: Somewhat except that's never really materialized. Listener, here, like it, uh, like they just them just not Listener, voting. If
0: you have any graphic design skills, can you make like a Virgin Chad meme where the Chad is like a Hasidic Jew controlling the world and the Virgin is Oliver J Flanagan? and email it to running on a post <laughs> and email it to running on a post pod at gmail.com i will post it on twitter and credit you
2: <laughs> that is a joke no by i the want way. that i want that why <laughs> it'd be funny
1: so speaking of all those myriad different opposition parties
2: the only people who are going to respond to make that are are nazi um, nazis on the internet Do you think
0: we have any nazi listeners i can't imagine we do
2: no, but if but those are the only types of people who make the types of memes that you want. Yeah,
0: Traffic, I guess. I don't tragic. know. I feel like being obviously transgender like repels them. Fair, fair. So in Sorry, 1943, Sorry, we, we've been way too yeah. off topic. <laughs> no worries,
1: your grand. So in 1943, there were suggestions that all the non-Fianna Fáil parties should unite together into one big coalition, which is definitely not an idea that's going to come up again. However, it ended up falling apart in 1944 because labor has a big old split. We don't need to get into detail too much about it. just the opposition is weak and divided. That's all you need to know. While by uh, comparison, classic labor move, yeah, they, they just decided to fall apart. Now, the government isn't exactly very strong either. It is still a minority government. And in an upcoming vote on a new transport bill, Oliver J. Flanagan smelled opportunity. The vote was tied, 55, uh, 65 to 65, and if he voted, he'd have the deciding vote. Still incredibly bitter about oh, no. uh, being kicked out of Fianna Fáil, he voted down the transport bill and collapsed the government, causing an, a new election in
2: 1944. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a mundane, mundane thing for the government, and... Sh- and- as far as I know, non-controversial thing for a government to collapse over a transportation bill. Hmm. Uh, now, To be well, fair, this was kind this of voluntary This country will have collapse. railroads
0: over my dead body.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, it's literally just, it's literally, a transportation bill is literally, are trains good, check yes or no. Oliver J. Flanagan
0: <laughs> uh, was still mad at the Jews for inventing the railroad because uh, he knows that a true white man only uses a horse and buggy.
1: A true man only uses a bicycle and he pays for his license.
0: (laughs) Of course. I forgot about the bicycles. This is all part of a plot. Oliver J. Flanagan was really controlled by the all powerful bicycle lobby. (laughs) Big bicycle. That's my counter conspiracy to the Jews. It's not the Jews. It's the bicycle owners.
1: So new elections, right? Uh, Oh boy. The last time Flanagan had gotten in in 1943, he was riding a wave of discontent, and even then he had barely gotten in. This time was going to be a lot more difficult. When it comes to electioneering in Ireland in this period, Fianna Fáil are ready to campaign like that, at the drop of a hat, while the opposition needs time. With one year between the last election and this one, Fianna Fáil are out in force and no one else can really oppose them. And one target they've got Right in their sights is Oliver J. Flanagan. They want him
0: gone. I mean, he did collapse the government. That's kind of fair.
1: Yeah. A barrage of attacks were made specifically on him, including Fianna Fáil twisting the arm of sympathetic priests to denounce him from the pulpit during homilies.
0: What's a homily? Uh,
1: it's like, um, uh, I think like Protestants would call it a sermon. It's basically okay, when the not... priest goes off script.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We call talks I, a little bit. Jews call that a sermon. Sorry. <laughs> ah, yeah. Fair enough. I didn't. I didn't realize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's that's incredible. They that they could get priests to denounce him. Seems like priests would mm. be all over him.
1: Yeah. Well, Fenifal had a lot of connections and a lot of power, and yet, despite this influence. He not only won, our boy prevailed big. So, we are the
0: champions, my (laughs) friends. I have a question.
2: Yeah, at this point, who is Flanagan's base? Oh, that's a great question.
1: Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure, but generally speaking, he was from what I've read, he was quite favored among like the working poor, they quite liked him. And we're going to see...
0: Sort of the lump why... proletariat, as it were. Yeah, you may say.
1: As you, we're going to see some of his like election campaign tactics and why people might like him in uh, just a sec. Oh, boy. So the quota for getting, uh, you know, sailing in with uh, no need for recounts, no need for distribution of votes. I don't want to go into the Irish voting system too much. Uh, but in order to sail in you needed 7,484 first preference votes. Flanagan received 9,856, a 40% increase on his last showing, and topping the poll. Uh, A phrase we're going to come again time and time. Topping the poll means receiving the highest amount of votes of any candidate in a constituency.
0: It also really sounds like a euphemism for gay sex, so I'm a big fan of it. <laughs>
1: yeah, it kind of does.
0: Doesn't it? Yeah. Oliver J. Flanagan's really topping that poll, folks. Watch him go. <laughs>
1: uh, remember, dear listener, uh, poll with a uh, lowercase p, not poll with an uppercase p.
0: Why would that matter?
1: As in Polish
0: person. No. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I was, I, was like I, yeah, I was thinking like a stripper. I it's more the first word that matters. Yeah, I was thinking like a stripper, Paul. Fair enough. But now, yeah, it could also uh, be gay sex with a Polish guy. That could work. It could do.
2: Now, I, again, I think it's really the first word that matters more than this, not the last hey, if you're one. You're not even gay. I'm I'm. I'm not. You're so. just like <laughs> metrosexual. That doesn't count. <laughs> Number one, I'm not metrosexual. Number two, I'm on this podcast and we're having a discussion about the vocabulary of it and what it implies. So I think from a linguistic perspective, I do have authority.
0: (laughs) Have sex with a man and then you get to have authority.
2: Before we uh, get bogged down in the debate, I only talk about gay sex for the linguistics.
0: (laughs) Hi, welcome back to Gay Sex Anonymous.
2: (laughs) I only talk about gay sex for the linguistics, guys.
0: I'm studying the linguistics of gay men.
1: (laughs) Speaking of things that you could make into an innuendo, let's talk a little bit about parish pump politics. (laughs) (laughs) So parish pump politics is the Irish term for policy more concerned with getting votes in a local constituency than with issues of national importance. It's basically really parochial local politics, right? Like, for about our American local...
0: listeners, you would call this pork barrel spending.
1: Yeah, that, that's it. Pork barrel spending is a great way of putting
2: it. Now, it... I assume this is more about pandering than anything else. To us, or at least, in, at least for some people. Mm, yeah, we'll, we'll
1: see what it entails. Now, uh, so Oliver J. Flanagan has absolutely did not invent uh, parchment politics, but as one of his obituaries declared, he mastered it, and I think that's fair to say. He was heavily involved in local affairs and he made and he made it his policy to make sure that everyone knew who he was and that he was always available for them he was always available in his office every saturday to take visitors hearing out the most mundane of complaints and assuring the constituent that, seeing as he knew either them or someone close to them, their father, their sibling, their neighbor, etc., that he was right on it. And he'd always sent out a letter afterwards to confirm what they'd been talking about, and that he was right on it. He was always there to listen.
0: So in a way, he was a good TD.
2: In a way, yeah. It seems like what politics theoretically is about, he got the closest to actually doing. Yeah, in in some ways, he was a a
1: genuinely good representative. And speaking of being a genuinely effective and good representative, like most TDs, he'd ask questions to ministers about issues brought to him by constituents. But also, unlike any other TD, he would harass civil (laughs)
0: servants about these issues. (laughs) That is kind of cool, I have to admit. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Harassing civil servants? I can't condone it, but it's kind of funny. (laughs)
2: Now, i mean it's not their fault the government is inefficient a lot of that might be like lack of lack of funds or something or just because the people at the top are you know not taking a good job as someone who's been
0: in a protracted battle with the post office i sympathize
1: (laughs) so he's doing this he's harassing civil servants um and he's using his great power of being annoying to get what he wants But it's also clear that he's quite friendly with some of them. Just like me in my war
0: with the post office. Yeah. Uh,
1: And this is where I need to quickly go on a little divergent tangent to talk about a group who are going to keep coming up, which is the Knights of St. Columbanus. Oh, God. So I'm going to assume you don't know who they are, and that's fine. Uh, To sum them up really quickly, they're Catholic Masons. That's how you would uh, sum them up, in my opinion. Catholic masons.
0: Hmm. Because you know um, what would make the Freemasons even more annoying if they were Catholic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Catholics, of course, are. How is being Catholic annoying? Haven't you been Catholic. paying any attention to the past episode? <laughs> well, it's more one guy who happens to be Catholic.
0: I think his Catholicism is deeply important to understanding him. <laughs>
1: So very quickly, the uh, not the Masons, uh, the Knights of Saint Columbanus were everywhere in Ireland. Right, they were heavily influential in the healthcare sector. They dominated the Irish Medical Association, which is like the doctors' group. They were on uh, healthcare boards. They were throughout the judiciary. They were judges. They were lawyers. A Supreme Court justice in the fifties and sixties, who I forget the name of, was a Knight of Saint Columbanus, and they were everywhere within Irish governance the civil service especially, but also in electoral politics. As we speak, in 1944, the Tánaiste, the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, a man by the name of Shanti O'Kelly, was allegedly a member of the Knights of St. Columbanus, and in a year's time, he would be president. Another member of the Knights in electoral politics, who we know for a fact was a member, was William Norton, leader of the Labour Party. His successor, Brendan Corish, would also be a member of the Knights of St. Columbanus. So if you've ever wondered why the Irish Labour Party are awful, from 1934 to 1977, they were run by Knights of St. Columbanus.
2: Are they still awful?
1: Uh, Yeah, they are, unfortunately. (laughs) How so? Uh, I mean, uh, since 19... Yeah, Uh, I'll put it this way. Since 1948, Labour has been... uh, Unendingly, always in coalition with Fine Gael. Uh, Brutal. Okay. What exactly? With all this power and influence, what exactly was the purpose of the Knights of Saint Columbanus? Well, Gabe put it pretty well last episode that church and state is not really a Venn diagram in Ireland; it's a circle. And to the Knights of Saint Columbanus, that's good. That's cool. They want to keep it that way, and that's their entire
2: purpose. So okay. the promotion. So their entire job, basically, is when. Just to be clear, is when someone says hey, let's, I don't know, legalize abortion or have some secular schools, their job is to just say, no, we're not doing that, pretty much? Absolutely, yeah.
1: To uh, advocate for and to protect Catholic values in Irish government and in Irish society.
0: Hmm, seems like cool guys. Seems like
1: great guys, yeah. And speaking of elected members of the Dáil, who were members of the Knights of St. Columbanus, Oliver J. Flanagan was a member of the Knights of St. Columbanus, and would ultimately go on to become a grand knight in the organization. So, pretty high up.
0: I know there's no relation to the Knights of Columbus, but it really is such a similar name.
1: Oh yeah, it is quite similar, yeah. Now, why are the knights important? Why did I bring them up there? Well, one, they're going to come up later, but two, he does have some form of connection to the civil service. He does have friends, and this is important for one of his alleged tactics— which was based entirely on prior knowledge of who would get public housing. The scheme would go like this. He'd find out a few days before who was going to get a council house, and then he'd send them a letter assuring them that as their elected representative, he was right on their case and he was going to get them their council house. And then, lo and behold, a few days later, a letter would arrive saying they'd gotten their council house and they could thank their lucky stars, Oliver J. Flanagan, had their back.
0: So he essentially took credit for things
2: that were already going to happen. Yep, exactly. He's a genius. This scheme is both, ex- that scheme is both extremely clever and extremely boring.
0: Yeah. That's I know. kind of the Oliver J. Flanagan specialty so far.
1: It is. It really is. It's, it's also quite effective. And he just wanted to make sure that everyone knew he was there for them at every moment of every part of their life, even including their death. So by his own admission, he only really read the newspaper for three reasons, right? For the sports results, for the comics, uh, his favorite comic was Dennis the Menace, if you're curious, and the obituaries.
2: <laughs> Flanagan.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis the Menace.
2: Wait, wait, just to be clear, I have a quick question about the last one. Yeah, go ahead. Was he reading the obituaries to see if he had died and not noticed? Uh no so he uh
1: he said uh he read them well he said he read them because he uh read them every day to thank god that he was not among them but the real read, uh, reason he uh, read them <laughs> so was, psycho
0: jesus christ <laughs> I,
1: I know uh, but the real reason he read them was because he was always pay attention to when a constituent pass away right and he'd sent a mass card, which is basically a payment to uh, a church to dedicate a mass to someone—deep Catholic stuff. Or he would do something. So else. indulgences. Yeah, indulgences. Uh, modern indulgences.
0: He would also. Yeah, it's so cool that they just brought those back. Yeah. Catholicism
2: rules. It is. It's it's such. A... What did he do next? He would also. Sometimes... you don't want to talk more about but...
0: Dennis the Menace, Gabe?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: not not really. <laughs> He'd also show up to funerals uninvited. <laughs>
0: Holy shit. Was he doing Wedding Crashers, but for funerals? Yeah, it's like that scene in The Wedding Singer where he goes up to the wedding and sings a song called "Love Stinks," but he's just some guy going on anti-Semitic rants at
2: random funerals. Wait, was he trying? Was he like, was he doing? Was he trying to do the movie Wedding Crashers, but for funerals, or was he there to mourn? No, he was there to talk about the Jews. He'd be there to sort of promote himself, basically.
1: That, like, he'd go to these funerals and be like, "I'm so sorry that you know your your mother passed away. I was good friends with her, by the way. My name is Oliver J. Flanagan. I'm your elected representative. I'm here to take advantage of
2: your grief." (laughs) He'd be like, "I'm so sorry." That is both hilarious and extremely psychotic. (laughs) I'm so sorry your (laughs) brother died,
0: Baba Booey. (laughs) That's a joke for my father and no one else.
2: So he... oh the guy from Howard yeah. Stern
1: so somehow this absolutely psychotic behavior uh, endeared him to Lee Shuffley and they voted him in again
2: wait do you mind if I interrupt for a second yeah, I have a fun yeah. fact after this went on he actually started selling um, his NFTs at funerals fun fact
1: <laughs> so he's now in office again Um, after <laughs> after Going to funerals uninvited. And from 1944 to 1947 is basically just the story of Oliver J. Flanagan coping and seething about two things. Firstly, coping and seething that the Nazis had lost the war. He was very upset about this fact. And two.
0: Yeah, that seething
1: Yeah, he he was not happy. And two, coping and seething that Fianna Fáil were still in power. After the 1944 election, they washed in with a majority and Flanagan was not happy. He compared de Valera to Stalin, and as his mentor, Father Fahy, had taught him, where there is communism, there is Jews. So, clearly, de Valera, being Stalin, must be controlled by the Jews. Just makes perfect sense. Wasn't de
2: Valera a conservative? Yeah, basically.
0: Yeah, but he, he was the conservative Stalin, if you will. Exactly.
2: He was,
1: he was the Irish Stalin in that he was a conservative Catholic. I mean, Stalin was pretty conservative on social stuff. So, Flanagan argued the following. He declared that the 1938 Anglo-Irish Agreement that ended the economic war was actually a plot to give the British Federation of Manufacturers and Wholesalers, who I may say are all Jews, control over the Irish economy.
0: (laughs) He's basically doing, like, (laughs) LaRoucheism. Like, this is literally what Lyndon LaRouche believes. Or believed, I guess, R.I.P. Mm.
1: On top of that,
0: he thundered
1: about Robert Briscoe, a Jewish TD uh, from Fianna Fáil, lobbying on behalf of the government to get the U.S. to support Zionism. Uh, allegedly, yeah, he declared that uh, Briscoe... Di- well, no, he declared Briscoe did that. I, I don't think Briscoe did do that. He was just accusing him of doing that because he's Jewish. Huh.
0: Yeah, I don't think the U.S. needed help supporting Zionism. I think we were pretty gung-ho about it. No, I don't think you did.
1: And finally, <laughs> in March 1947, he accused the government of giving preferential treatment to businesses run by aliens and Jews.
0: Asians words, is a new aliens.
2: one. Uh, aliens. Oh, aliens. Corners.
0: Sorry, I heard Asians, and I was like, oh, that's a new twist. <laughs>
2: how many immigrants were in Ireland at this time, and how many are there today? I Because I don't think it's Ireland a lot. Ireland took so, in a
0: crazy amount of Ukrainians, actually.
2: Yeah, like a lot, uh, 60,000. I'm talking about, okay, but this is 1945. Yeah, 1945, so, uh, they did not. N- no, in, ni- in
1: 1945, not, uh, well, 1944, not a lot. Uh, well, what was it? 1947, not a lot. But um, <laughs> okay. yeah, nowadays, yes. Now, you know, he, he's talking about the Jews constantly, right? And so long as there was air in this man's lungs, he was screaming about the Jews, Which is why, beginning in April of 1947, he was no longer screaming about the Jews because he had tuberculosis and was hospitalized.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Suck it, bitch. Mm. And he died. The end. If only.
1: Oh, if only. If only. From here on out, he is going to be basically Irish Jair Bolsonaro.
2: He just loves being in the hospital. How many more times is he going to get sick? So many more. Uh, to the, That's what that
1: was my next question. Yeah. Uh, to the extent of if I list why he's there, it's because I know, and if I don't list why he's there, like what he has, then it's because I could not
0: find information on it, but I could find information that he was hospitalized. <laughs> he just he kept getting those like 18th century diseases, like Bolsonaro. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've come down with consumption. I, I,
2: yeah, he literally he did. He got Do you remember when Bolsonaro said that he was hospitalized because he had mold in his lungs? That was so
0: cool. How <laughs> does that even happen?
2: <laughs> How does th- <laughs> is that like maybe it's like a Portuguese idiom or something or figure of speech?
0: There's actually no word for um, sick in Portuguese. Most people don't know this.
2: No, I'm saying like maybe there's a type of disease that like pe- that like is called that like is called like mold in lungs like colloquially. Oh, it's like
0: saudade. It's like specific to Portuguese. Okay, yeah, I got gotcha. you.
2: Hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe it's like, maybe it's like a colloquial, maybe it's like a slang term for another illness.
0: Yeah, but presumably whoever wrote the article would know that.
2: True. But to be fair, I think it was Bolsonaro saying he had mold in his lungs. Yeah, I don't know. Anyone who
0: follows uh, the health of Jair Bolsonaro, let us know. At a post pod, just DM us information about Bolsonaro. Just random facts, whatever you want.
2: Photos, facts. Yeah, specifically
0: photos of him looking sick. We're a big fan of those. Sorry, we've gone off topic. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Thomas.
1: Uh, You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, To be fair, whether or not uh, Jerry Bolsonaro has mold in his lungs is quite important information. We do need to know that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Flanagan has mold in his lungs, uh, and he is absolutely certain that the government is corrupt. And, you know what, he's not alone in Ireland in thinking this. What made Flanagan different was thinking it had anything to do with Jewish people. Fianna Fáil did not need Jewish people to be corrupt. And after 16 years of Fianna Fáil rule, the party was starting to stink. And the first tribunals, uh, basically hearings I think would be the US equivalent, uh, were being Ooh, set up to, Love yeah, a tribunals. tribunal.
0: It's very Stalinist.
1: Uh, They were being established for the first time in the history of the state uh, to address the myriad corruption allegations against the uh, Fianna Fáil government. Okay, but first time in the history of the state.
0: The state was like 30 years old.
1: Yeah, it's not that old. It's it's like 20-something years old, yeah. Yeah. How involved was the church in these tribunals? Not at all, basically. Really? They're going to be very involved in something uh, hopefully we'll get to in this episode, yeah. But uh, not this.
0: We're at 45 minutes. We're not getting to that.
1: (laughs) Oh, I I want to power through to try and get to that because it's in 1951. So hopefully we should. (laughs) So after the war tribunal, uh, uh, the government tried to pass a series of anti-corruption measures to show that they took the issue seriously. Uh, However, these ultimately were not able to pass. And one of their most vocal opponents was Oliver J. Flanagan. He did not like anti-corruption legislation.
0: (laughs) Hmm. I wonder why he wouldn't.
1: I wonder, yeah. Uh,
0: I was going to say, not to impugn his character or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so uh, he's he's accusing the government of a lot of stuff, right? Uh, of being in cahoots with the Jews. He's doing it quite a bit. But an accusation that would finally stick would fall into his lap, like genuinely fall into his lap in late 1947. And this is where I need to talk about the Lock distillery and all the weird shenanigans around that. I'm going to try my best to make it all make sense, but just bear with me for a bit while I say a lot of names and information, okay? All
0: right, hit me. All right.
1: So the Loch Distillery in Kilbegan was well regarded for its good whiskey, but it was falling on some hard times. However, it was in a pretty good position post-war, as it had 60,000 gallons of aged whiskey in its possession. Joseph Cooney, Sr. and Jr., who ran the distillery day to day, wanted to buy it out from their boss, but out of a private plane arrived a Swiss businessman and his English translator who had an offer that couldn't be refused. Now, World War II had bombed Ireland's main uh, trading partner, Britain, to bits, and it really needed to diversify. But in order to do it, it needed foreign currency, which is where Georges Indiguet Horace Henry Smith and their supposed company, Trans World Trust, come in. They wanted to pay for the distillery in US so they wanted to pay for the distillery in US dollars. And they promised to sell their whiskey in Switzerland in exchange for Swiss francs, and this would be a pretty good influx of foreign currency into the Irish market, which it really needed. As a result, the government agreed to the deal, even though the government was usually not very happy with letting foreigners own Irish businesses. In exchange, they increased their export... So you're telling me the Irish
0: government was negotiating whiskey sales?
1: Yeah, so because these were foreign <laughs> businessmen who were trying to buy this business, they basically said, uh, you know, this is of interest to the Irish government. And so the foreign businessmen were like, hey, we'll give you US dollars, you know, we'll influx this stuff into your economy. And So the government approved of these foreigners buying uh, an Irish company.
2: Now, how much did Ireland get up getting fucked in the long term because of these deals? Oh, we're going to see how they immediately get fucked from this deal. So it accepts
1: this deal, right? And as far as the Coonies are concerned, the guys who run it day to day, this is, they smell a rat here. They don't know about any of that currency stuff. And all they see is good Irishmen themselves being passed over for this
2: foreign muck.
1: And they believe that this has something to do with the fact that these businessmen must have connections with Fianna Fáil. They believe this because the auctioneer is a Fianna Fáil senator by the name of William Quirk. And when the Coonies attempted to get in good with Transworld Trust to keep their jobs, they went to a dinner attended by the president, arranged by Seamus Sweeney, one of the lawyers finalizing the deal, and the president's nephew. So they have all these weird connections to Fianna Fáil, and so they're getting a little bit suspicious. At a different dinner. William Quirk uh, is speaking with Andy Gay, the Swissman, and notices his gold watch and asks him if he could get one of those for him in Switzerland. He wanted it sorry, as a present there for was a devil... Sw- there,
0: was a sw- there was a Swiss yeah, guy named so... Andy Gay? Uh, yeah, Georges Andy Gay. So his name is just homophobic. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> so Georges Andy Gay, he has this... <laughs> it is, yeah. He has this gold watch... William Quirk notices the gold watch and is like, hey, I'd love one of those. Um, Eamon de Valera's son, Eamon de Valera Jr., who is a gynecologist, was looking after my sister recently, and I want to (laughs) give him a gift. So I want to (laughs) give... He did a real bang-up job with my sister, so I want to give him a gold watch. Could you get me one of those in Switzerland? (laughs) Now... This gold watch ended up being seen by Joseph Cooney Jr., who was shown it by Horace Henry Smith, the English translator. And Smith, either not understanding what Quirk wanted or purposely messing with Cooney, declared that the gold watch was a bribe in order for the deal to go ahead. So there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. and
0: Declared that making, in order to what? Sorry, you cut out for a uh, sec.
1: Uh, a gold watch in order to make the deal go ahead. So it's a bribe to the government, oh, basically. Okay. A bribe to De It just took one watch? That is what Horace Henry Smith told uh, Joseph Cooney Jr., certainly. I'm just, I don't know, this guy, it feels like he's getting bought for cheap. So Quirk is getting a little bit suspicious about all this, and he goes to try and find these men when the first payment is due for the distillery, and it hasn't shown up. This is around the time that he discovers that the police are also looking for the two men. This is because Horace Henry <laughs> Smith is not Horace Henry Smith. He's a Russian con man by the name of Alexander Maximo who was wanted by British authorities.
2: <laughs> Alexander Maximo! Okay, here we yes! go. Here
0: this we is go. The good shit. So, inject this into my s- veins.
2: <laughs> this is actually a great time to bring this up because my next few episodes are going to be about fraudsters. Oh, so are they really? I'm excited. Oh, perfect. Fraudsters and liars, yes. Well, don't worry. This series is going
0: to be like seven parts, so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So
1: Maximo is wanted, and he's a con man, right? What what are they trying to pull here? The scheme is that they want, is a classic asset strip. They want access to those 60,000 barrels of aged whiskey, which is a real rare commodity after Europe has been bombed to bits, and they want to sell it on the English black market. And that's it. They just want the whiskey. They want to sell it and then scrap it. So there's not going to be any
0: Swiss francs going to Ireland or U.S. dollars. No,
1: exactly. Just entirely a lie. Uh, So Maximo, (laughs) uh, he is uh, arrested. Uh, He then escapes deportation by jumping off of the ship from Ireland to Britain. And we don't know if he lived or died.
0: Holy shit. That's so cool.
2: Considering we never heard of him again, I'm going to assume he died. Maybe he just lived a quiet life.
1: Yeah, there are allegations that he changed his name and continued to live in Dublin. We don't know, though. That's so bad. It is, yeah. So Maximo either dies or escapes. We don't know. Andy Gay sets off in his private plane back to Switzerland. And the two Coonies head to the one TD who has proven himself to care deeply about the issue of Fianna Fáil corruption and foreigners owning Irish businesses. It's Oliver J. Flanagan, baby.
0: Oh, boy. Our big boy. His time to shine.
1: So did that all make sense?
0: Yeah. And the wide menace himself is about to come in.
1: Exactly. Now, Flanagan took the matter to the doll, and he spun a wild tale of intrigue and corruption from it. A tale of a government conspiring with foreigners, who accepted bribes and gold watches, and who knew of the conmen's intentions to sell it all off in the black market, and yet also didn't, but they should have. And he was what he was doing here is taking advantage of his doll privilege to just say whatever he wanted and accuse all the high ranking members of Fianna Fáil without fear of getting sued. So if you remember the doll, you can just say what you want and you you can't legally get sued, so that's what he's doing,
0: yeah, the Congress is like that too, which um mm. our members like to take advantage of, so it's nice to see uh, Ireland continuing the proud tradition of letting members of <laughs> parliament just lie. <laughs> so
1: he, he's he's just lying and what he's spouting is often contradictory as well but this tale you know with all this like gold watch and uh, and all that it really strikes a court with the public and so a new tribunal has to be established to investigate his claims and it establishes pretty quickly that he has no evidence just none none whatsoever his chief witnesses, the Coonies, uh, either recanted all of the what they had to say in the case of Cooney Sr., or were found to have gotten all their information from Alexander Maximo, the con man.
0: <laughs> so wait. The co- Maximo admitted it to the Coonies. And so that was so wait, isn't that legit though? Uh, no, if, so if the, con you know man the whole thing admits it to you.
1: So you know the thing with... Oh uh, wait, the, gold the con watch? man
0: was lying. Yep, yeah, the so watch?
1: the thing with the gold watch, uh, Horace Henry Smith, uh, Maximo, told Cooney this is a bribe, and so Cooney says that to the court, and the court goes, so a con man told you that was a bribe, did he? And then Cooney goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose he did.
0: <laughs> oh, whoops. So now he's in trouble. <laughs> this feels like a movie. Has, has this been made into a movie?
1: Oh, unfortunately not
0: okay ireland has a lot of filmmakers right now if you're listening get on this make this a movie
2: <laughs> not gonna lie this has been become so convoluted that i just lost track like 10 minutes ago oh don't no worries uh I- i'm going gonna...
0: okay it'll make sense in the episode yeah hopefully uh and i'm gonna wrap it up now
1: so he flanagan has been found that he has no evidence and he's desperately trying to uh, defend everything he said, but he's floundering really badly at it. It's ultimately found, uh, quote, necessary to exercise extreme caution in dealing with the evidence of Deputy Flanagan. And his accusations were found ultimately to be, quote, untrue.
2: And that's the (laughs) official report. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like him. Now, as a result, That's so polite, oh, yeah, we
0: found the <laughs> allegations untrue, <laughs> rather than just you're a fucking liar,
1: <laughs> so as a result, Flanagan became uh, Feofa's favorite punching bag throughout the fifties, being jeered at every time he spoke with shouts of perjurer, and he would remain bitter about its findings for the rest of his life,
0: and yet it didn't did he really... ever refer to the judiciary as the judiciary? Oh, he didn't unfortunately. <laughs> Crazy that I'm better at anti-Semitism than this guy. (laughs) (laughs) And yet it didn't really matter that the
1: tribunal ruled against him, because at the end of the day, he won. He completely won. The accusations may well have not been true, but they united the fractured opposition, and that unity continued forward into the next election. It was also quite well-timed, suspiciously well-timed, you might say. As Fianna Fáil were defending three <laughs> seats in by elections. Thanks to the tribunal, two mm. of them, yeah, I wonder. Uh, thanks to the tribunal, two of them were won by the upcoming left wing challenger to Finifall, Clon the the family of the Republic. And the by election defeats forced de Valera to call an election to catch Clon the flat footed and cut off their potential growth. And in that election, Fianna Fáil lost. And, wow. yeah, they they just lost in 1948. Ripped
0: our boy De Valera.
1: While in comparison, Flanagan received 14,369 first preference votes, a 45% increase on 1944, and the highest total, not just in Lee Shoffley, but the entire country.
0: Holy shit! This guy's a beast. Yeah. In a
1: bad way. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs>
0: He's a beast in, like, the biblical sense of a beast. <laughs> like, he's a demon.
1: <laughs> an IMRA challenger attempted to run against Flanagan in Lee Shoffley and was blown out of the water by Flanagan and the IMRP. And ultimately, the debacle around the Locke Tribunal completely discredited the concept of tribunals to an entire generation of Irish politicians who would just never use them again that
0: seems bad that seems like it'll have consequences yeah
1: and it took until after they'd all died or retired in the 1990s for tribunals to make a comeback that Crazy. feels like a long time oh yeah it was a huge amount of time and so yeah he won anti-corruption uh, measures had been defeated he had won in his constituency and now the hated fianna Fáil government were gone and so let's talk about the hated fianna wow. Fáil government being gone because in 1948, the first non-Fianna Fáil government in the South was established in 16 years, and Flanagan was at its centre. The coalition government was made up of the following, and uh, I'll ask you afterwards, do you think this sounds very stable? It was made up of Fine Gael, Labour, National Labour, Clonnet Thaloon, na Publicte, and a group of independents who were only really united by James Dillon and their group secretary, Oliver J.
2: Flanagan. This sounds like it's going to end very badly.
0: We love a stable coalition on this podcast, (laughs) but what we love even more is a ridiculously unwieldy coalition.
1: (laughs) So the first inter-party government, as it was called, because they refused to call it a coalition for some weird reason, um, (laughs) was extremely unstable. Coalition
0: is, it's it's too Jewish sounding. Hmm.
1: So, uh, yeah, very unstable, and they didn't like the uh, English-sounding coalition, so the inter-party government uh, is, is not going to last. But for that group of independents, uh, Dylan was made the group's representative in the cabinet as the Minister for Agriculture, while Flanagan kept the independents united behind the government as their whip. When the government was successfully formed, Flanagan declared, Thank God I have lived to see this day! He didn't live to see the <laughs> government much because he was hospitalized for much of 1949. As a result, his only <laughs> reason why, uh, Again, I don't know. Uh, he just started he was,
0: from the bottom. Now we're here.
1: <laughs> so yeah, ecstatic about the government being formed straight into hospital. I genuinely don't know what for. Uh, his only government.
0: That's, that's the Bolsonaro special.
1: <laughs> his only government role was an, as an emissary to the Vatican in 1950 which he loved. He loved being there.
0: That seems like it would make him very happy. Oh,
1: he was so happy. Now, these independents were all a very mixed lot, and keeping them united was a Herculean task for Flanagan. And frankly, keeping the entire coalition was a Herculean task. As a result, the coalition was going to die a death of a thousand cuts, slowly losing supporters, one TD at a time.
0: So... Brutal.
1: Yeah. Let's quickly jump over a couple who leave, right? The first to go was Pader Cowan, uh, who's going to come up again. Uh, the rest of these names you don't need to care about. Pater Cowan will come up. Uh, the former communist clan the public, the member, could not support Ireland accepting martial aid from the United Snakes of America.
0: <laughs> Maoist Irish people, let's go. Did he <laughs> recall the
2: United Snakes of America? Ka-ka? No,
1: that, that was a joke. But yeah, he's a former communist and he basically goes, this is imperialism. We will not accept martial aid. And the government said, we are going to accept martial aid. And so Cowan goes, well, I'm not supporting the government anymore. How much was Ireland bombed? Uh, Not really at all that much. Uh, There was a couple of accidental bombings by the Germans. Uh, I think like the North Strand got bombed, but uh, not much. Ireland was just very poor, which is Mm, why it applied for martial
2: aid. Ah, okay, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I don't know. I feel like we didn't need to include Ireland in the Marshall Plan. There was, oh. It's not like Ireland was going to have a communist revolution, you know? Not really,
1: no. Uh, we'll talk, we actually will talk about the impact of That was, was kind of an
0: L for the US government.
1: <laughs> well, it might have been a W, we'll see. So William Sheldon was the next <laughs> guy to go. Uh, the independent Southern Unionist was horrified that Ireland had left the Commonwealth in 1949 and had failed to join NATO. And the final... Wait, way, I'm sorry.
0: He was a Southern Unionist? Yeah, a Donegal Unionist. So he supported reunification? Uh,
1: I I don't I don't know. So I, I just know that he was basically the Unionist vote in Donegal. Okay. So maybe supporting being a part of the North, maybe not. Uh, The extent, I don't know. But basically, yeah, quite pro-British. And so when Ireland left the Commonwealth, he wasn't happy.
0: Now... Ah, brutal. Last guy I'm going to well, mention... you know, Britain should have tried being better. Yeah, they should have. So uh, last guy, yeah, I'm quickly British should have tried mention... having a stable economy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> last guy very quickly is Patrick Hogan. Uh, you don't need to remember him. He left uh, over the minister for Post and Telegraph, James Everance. blatant corruption. So there's a lot of like defections going on, right? Uh, and that slow trickle of TDs leaving one at a time. But the real big blowout, and usually where the story of the inter-party government ends, is the mother and child scheme affair, which is where the church comes in.
0: Oh boy, this seems bad. So, Dr.
1: Noel Brown was a freshly elected Klon the Public, the TD, and an unlikely pick for a cabinet role. But despite this, he thrived as the Minister for Health, launching a successful campaign to eradicate tuberculosis. One of his patients uh, being Oliver J. Flanagan back in 47. <laughs> Now, with that under his belt, uh, he went uh, looking to solve the other great big problem of Irish healthcare in this era, which was really high infant and maternal mortality rates. And while thumbing through the uh, ministry, he stumbled upon a Fianna Fáil white paper about the issue, calling for healthcare for mothers and their children under the age of 16. He liked the idea and he used it as the basis of his proposal the Mother and Child Scheme. So basically, like, uh, if you're under the age... Yeah. That doesn't sound bad. Yeah, exactly. So not a bad idea, right? Uh, free healthcare for mothers and their children under the age of 16. A big thing that he also proposed was no means testing. He was not
2: a fan of means testing in the slightest. Uh, so we're all just like kind of like run-of-the-mill social democratic policies.
0: Yeah, yeah this seems fine. Where When does it get bad? Yeah, so it, it seems
1: perfectly fine. And people were quite happy with it. It was universally popular among both the public and the Dal. The only real group of people who didn't like it were doctors who opposed us because it was government encroachment on their private businesses. Oh, now, no. I mentioned earlier that the IMA, the Irish Medical Association, was full of Knights of St. Columbanus, right? And this is where that comes in, because they've got a lot of connections oh, to Christ. the church and they call on the church to do something about this. Now, the church itself was Are we getting
0: into some Gladio shit.
1: Uh, Not quite, but uh, so kind of a... blackmailing politicians. So the church is kind of willing to accept this, maybe, but it has some reservations, uh, specifically as reservations around the idea of family planning. It doesn't want the government to muck about in reproduction because it fears that that would lead to contraceptives and potentially abortion.
0: Now, oh, heaven forbid, oh, heaven forbid. I know now. The, well, I guess if you're Catholic, literally, heaven forbid. <laughs> I know,
1: <laughs> so in all likelihood, that wasn't going to happen, right? Uh, and there was definitely some within the church who were just willing to accept it. However, they did want these uh, assurances, they did have the IMA screaming at them, wanting them to do something about it. So they went to Noel Brown and were like, Hey, can you give us these assurances? And Noel Brown was the worst guy to go to assurances for because a little. A part of his biography not usually mentioned is that he was a massive prick and so he basically told them to go away and leave him alone because he was the expert what did they know about and so he basically told them no go away <laughs> fuck off i i'm not i'm not giving you your assurances which alarmed the church and they made a public statement saying this is unacceptable this is sinful we will not support it and immediately support evaporated
0: yeah um supporting like people having health care that's that actually goes against my religion for other people to have health care sorry <laughs> sweetie
1: yeah so the church denounces the plan Flanagan's supporter uh browns excuse me uh supporters completely vanish and the first to buckle was labor oddly enough whose leader william norton as we mentioned was a member of the knights of Saint Columbanus. so if the church says no we're not doing it hmm.
0: So there was some popery afoot, is what you're saying. There
1: was, yeah, there was some popery afoot.
0: Um, so, like, yeah, we uh, they needed like a good old school anti-Catholicism movement in Ireland, is what you're saying. <laughs> we really didn't. We just never no.
1: Got <laughs> Ian Paisley really needed to yeah. come down south. Uh, he was wasting his talents in the north.
0: Yeah, Ian Paisley needed to come down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, considering Ian Paisley's poor fighting skills, I don't think it would have mattered. <laughs> that is
1: true. He did get punched. That's true. Yeah. Habsburg punched him in the jaw.
2: Brown was only left with
1: two supporters, right? Uh, Pater Cowan, who we mentioned earlier, the former communist, and Oliver J. Flanagan. As a devout knight of St. Columbanus, Flanagan what? believed, yeah, he believed the whole thing was just a misunderstanding. To him, there was nothing wrong with universal health care because as far as he was concerned, church and state were not a separate thing. State-run healthcare was church-run healthcare. So long as the church was involved in giving their assurances, yeah, universal healthcare is fine, as far as he's concerned.
0: Yeah, universal healthcare as long as there's no abortion involved. Okay, yeah, I can exactly. see, I, I see the logic. Yeah,
1: he also supported Brown for more personal reasons, as Brown had treated him for tuberculosis, as I mentioned earlier, and because Brown, in his eyes, was being unfairly persecuted just like he had been during the Locke Tribunal. So for like real petty And just personal. like
0: Jesus. Yeah, and
1: just like Jesus. He was also Jesus too. So
2: how many times did he compare himself to Jesus? Oh, not many that I know of.
0: I don't think you're allowed to do that in Catholicism. No, nah, not really. Yeah, but this I think guy's that's weird. Like a sin. Hmm. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's a sin. I would, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say it is.
1: Now at the end of all this, Brown is forced to resign and the government lost one more vote. And that's usually where the story of the interparty government ends, with this big old bang of the uh, Mother and Childcare scheme affair. However, it didn't need to. The government still had the votes to cling on. And it wasn't the bang that brought it down, but a whimper. A whimper which was way more involved with Oliver J. Flanagan, which was the dispute over milk prices. Yes!
2: He keeps dying on the lamest hills. (laughs) So are you
0: telling me he's going to bring down the second government of this episode?
2: Yes, he is. He's going to bring
1: him down again. (laughs) Over milk? Yeah. When Minister for Agriculture, James Dillon, set a standard price for buying milk off farmers, the independents, like Flanagan, were outraged. The price was too low, and Dillon needed to raise it if they wanted them to keep supporting the government. Dillon dared them to do it, and thinking he was calling their bluff, They weren't bluffing. Flanagan then led all of the (laughs) independents to stop supporting the government, and it collapsed.
0: Whoops. You got to keep your farmers happy, folks.
1: Yeah, you do. Now, Taoiseach John A. Kostlo, who we mentioned in the last episode, the guy who was talking about the Hitler shirts, that guy, he's now in charge of the country. Oh, boy. Uh,
0: oh, cool. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, Tisic John A. Koslow raged at these independents in his farewell speech, fuming that they'd irresponsibly sought to embarrass the government by exploiting petty grievances. The coalition was split...
0: I mean, so, that is true. They did oh, do it's, that. Oh, it's
2: true. It's entirely true. He's right. <laughs> and the coalition... That doesn't feel uncommon for politics in general. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, no.
1: <laughs> so, coalition got swept out in 1951 and Fianna Fáil regained power, but Flanagan continued to top the polls in Lee Shuffley.
0: <laughs> All right. So, so we'll pick up next time and if you... cover the rest of the 50s, I guess. So uh, we'll cover up to the, we'll cover the 50s and beyond next week for part three. Yep. Uh, this is officially our longest series ever.
1: Oh, my apologies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's because we riff a lot more than we used to. Hmm. This podcast has gradually devolved. I think, <laughs> Just but that's like okay. We have. Ah. <laughs> but that's okay. All right. Well, I guess I'll cut th- this into
2: something and do the outro. Okay. All right. So, Signing uh, off. Uh, I've been Rose. I'm Gabe.
1: Oh, do I say my name,
2: Thomas? Yeah, I'm. I'm here yeah. too.
1: Hello.
0: Yeah. Uh, and we are running unopposed. Uh, our email is running unopposedpod at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at opposedpod. Our theme song is courtesy of Oxblood Oxblood on SoundCloud. Uh, Thomas,
2: you don't have any plugs, right? Unfortunately not. Nope. If uh, That's cool. If anyone wants to buy an NFT of me dressed as a toilet, please email the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll make those. Why not? <laughs> and uh, yeah, folks...
0: See you next time for part three of Oliver J. Flanagan.